Gerald, you uh, you join me tonight, or, the, or in the morning in your time anyway, on a very special Biota Live. This is the 50th episode uh, associated with this, this long rambling series of conversations. You've been on pretty well since, you know, since the beginning with regards to Biota Live. What, what's your sense of it after 50 episodes? Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed different uh, interviews with people uh, like Larry Yeager. And uh, there's been quite a variety. But at a certain point, you know, you get the same same crowd back uh, a bit too much. It would be nice to keep uh, keep expanding or keep uh, involving other people and other points of view. Yeah, we're in constant need of fresh blood, which is my hope with regards to the new project uh call out as well that you know new folks will get involved and it's difficult because i think the the external observer and this certainly has come through the itunes feedback as well the external observer gets the sense that biota is a club you know (laughs) we're we're each members and you know we've known each other forever and we just get on in like a, a chat line and talk through listening to probably just a couple of episodes and leaving a a review on iTunes, but it's funny because, uh, I mean, I met Dick Gordon for the first time last Friday. Uh, you and I have never met. I mean, the majority of the people we talk with on Biota Live, I mean, you've met more, probably more people in the Biota community than I have. Yeah, well, because of the conferences, actually, because of the, you know, Biota 2 and 3 that I attended. Certainly, certainly, and I'm going to be putting more Biota 3 video out. I, I got a lot of really positive feedback from the Jeffrey and Trello stuff, and, uh, I have, I think I have a presentation of yours somewhere through there and uh, a few other people. There's one by Tom Ray that I want to put out. Uh, and I yeah, think that's, uh, that's, that's the one that, that uh, to, to me, the Biota 3 in, um, in San Jose, that, the, the one where you posted some video of uh, Jeffrey Ventrella, to me, the, the, big, uh, the, the biggest sort of influence as far as I was concerned, was was being able to hang out with Tom Ray because he had a very very different approach to uh, to you know what what it what it meant and and the and the way you can uh, explore. I mean, he he was uh, his his main focus was uh, let's not pretend we're using uh, let's not pretend we can simulate our physics or something like it, but. Uh, let's just have these computer creatures live in their own physics, and that's the that's the sort of natural way to do things. And that was Tierra. So that uh, it was it was interesting because everybody else was sort of uh, you know thinking in terms of, for example, 3D, and I was as well, of course. Uh, and and Tom Ray was sort of completely uh, on another uh, on another tack, thinking you know uh, let's let these things live in their physics. Certainly, and you'll be very pleased to know that we'll have Tom Ray on sometime in the near future, actually. He's, oh, superb. He's interested in getting involved with Biota Live. It's, it's 20 years since the start of Tierra uh, coming up, and I did invite him on early, but he said he wanted to come on and make that his first time on Biota Live. I guess he's, he's catching up with the feed um, up until then. But he said sometime in, um, in the Northern Hemisphere um, autumn, which is only a, a few months off, he said probably September, October, November time frame, he'll, uh, he'll come on and we can, we can talk to him about all those ideas and, and possibly a number more. Um, but no, I agree. I think um, looking at the videos in terms of historical legacy, I mean, the thing that caught me about Jeffrey's presentation is that uh, a lot of the stuff that he's developed that we know about was pretty, pretty well distilled in that Biota 3 talk. I mean, that's not 
part of the excitement that I'm uh, motivating with regards to moving GenePool open source is that you can see all the ideas, in fact, and a majority of the software had actually been written in that kind of 1999 time frame. And 10 years on, it really seems like the right kind of time to release that stuff open source, particularly the 3D components. Um, with what Roy Plotnick is doing. So I think the uh, the Biota 3 video will continue to hit the feed. Um, and I think probably Dimitri Terezopoulos and a couple of other folk, I might put their talks into the feed as well. There was a fellow um, who did a presentation on a, a video game environment, which I, was never actually released in the end, but it's a very passionate and quite detailed video game environment for 1999, and I'm probably going to put that in the feed too because I found that fascinating that, you know, artificial life in games, which has been an ongoing uh, narrative as well in the bias lives, um, it was certainly at a relatively mature level even back in 1999 and certainly the ideas associated with stability and um, you know, agent intelligence and all that kind of stuff was uh, was covered. So if we look back on, on 50 episodes, I mean you, you did some quite extraordinary stuff in terms of actually like flying out to Washington DC and getting together with a, a variety of Biota Life participants. So I mean the, the conversations and the connections that you've had on Biota Life have actually motivated some international flight, haven't they? Yeah, and, and I have to admit that it's been the motivation as well to start up the Greytham Group. It's it's really, you know, it's, it's sort of brought that to life. Yes, I mean, I was looking back through the early episodes of both Love. I haven't had the chance to, to listen to some of the earlier episodes, but there were certainly some favorites uh, early on in there in terms of the outstanding questions shows were oftentimes to really do kind of free-form artificial life discussion. I remember we had Travis Sabo and uh, Jeffrey Ventrola on one of the early ones and uh, got some quite interesting sparks. And I remember also the... Um what were Saturday morning shows for me, probably Saturday evening shows for you. I remember the first Evo Grid, for example, which unfortunately kind of uh, seemed to manipulate your voice rather horribly. But there were some other quite nice ones associated with artificial life isn't intelligent design and these kind of things that really set the tone for future biota lives. I mean, I thought... The participation in those calls in particular um, really gave a, a clear indication that there would be some interesting discussions coming through. In terms of the folks we've had on, you've mentioned uh, Larry Yeager. I mean, also we've had, obviously, Zan Gill and Mark Badeau. I'm still, uh, still in communication with Mark Badeau, associated with the International Society. Also, I mean, we've had people like Ed Salford, and I do refer back to Ed quite a bit because I have another uh, quite active correspondent who's also working in... Uh, the pharmaceutical industry who does artificial life-related development there. And I think really we've, I've tried to use uh, Biota Live as a, an outreach means for, for folks such as those to get in contact and give us a sense about what, to, what artificial life is actually being used for in industry. I mean, have you gotten the sense as well, Gerald? Uh, what, that it's being used in industry? Or, or that, well, the, the Biota Live could act as a carrot in terms of getting people who are using it in industry out and actively talking about it. Yeah, potentially, as long as it's not proprietary information. If somebody's going to be, uh, you know, they, nobody's going to reveal their secrets if it's uh, commercially interesting to keep them secret. And I think another show that interested both you and me equally was the Artificial Life of Plants uh, episode uh, with the, the fellow uh, Stefan um, from um, the uh, Mathematics School in Paris. And I think that certainly my own thinking, and probably yours as well, um, 
the use of plant simulation in artificial life environments and the kind of problems that uh, Stefan put out there, I thought were absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that was really good to uh, to hear from him because uh, he was, uh, you know, really using it to uh, do some some research into real plants. Certainly, certainly. And uh, Bruce and I were talking about the artificial life startup uh, Biota Live last night, actually associated with how things have just gotten considerably more bleak <laughs> through the period of recording Biota Live uh, economically. But also, I mean, in, in perfect honesty. Um, our listeners have really dropped off, and certainly the listeners that I've been tracking, the folks who've corresponded me for a long, with me for a long period of time, uh, I pinged half a dozen of them to see, you know, if they were still listening to Biota Live, and all of them, bar one, well, actually, it's not true to say that they were unemployed, but certainly they've gone through major life events associated with, uh, you know, losing jobs and moving. Um, so I think a, a good portion of the community is really in quite a, a painful state currently. Uh, and really, I guess, uh, and this, this is feedback from the community as well, if we want to continue the discussion associated with the quality of life for artificial life developers, I think that's probably a, a topic of some interest to some of the folks who've, uh, who've corresponded with me. I mean, you, you live as a consultant, Gerald, so I mean, you, you probably see some of this pain, although I'm not sure the Netherlands is in a similar state to the U.S. currently. No, it's it's not quite as bad, or at least not yet. Typically, um, every every kind of economic event or, or you know phenomenon blows westward, or at least no, sorry, blows eastward across the ocean and eventually gets to Europe. So I think we might uh, might experience a bit more difficulties in the, as time goes on. But until now, at least I've been uh, sort of spared. And uh, actually, I've got a situation set up now that, that might be really advantageous. I've got uh, potentially uh, a contract for uh, mornings so that I can spend every afternoon on Darwin at home. And if that turns out to be the case, that's going to be uh, that's going to allow me to really get some stuff uh, refined because uh, it's you know it's starting to get to the point now where I'm almost ready to set up a, a very basic uh, demo version to, to just play around and with some of the gaming ideas and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to working it out and uh, and I think uh, from September onwards I will have the opportunity to really do some uh, some heavy development yes the the working in the mornings is uh, is a killer setup I had I mean the, the Stockholm rewrite of no blank occurred when I was effectively working in the mornings in Stockholm, I did have some all-day meetings, but I think probably you know, three or four days a week I basically had the, the afternoons and evenings to work on it. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, just, you have enough going on that you can, comment, you can uh, cover costs, but then, uh, then you know, you can sort of stay even and, and get some other stuff done. That's really fun. Certainly, certainly. I think the... The presentation, one of the three presentations I'm going to give at uh, Greytham in September in the Bay Area relates to uh, how we use this time to, to strengthen the artificial life community and create better conferences, better projects, better books and, and better industries that all all use the stuff that we've been talking about for such a long period of time. We have William R. Buckley in the chat, and I'll just read what William is typing. It has often been remarked that the quality of science is inversely related to the association of funding with government or corporate organizations. Thus, one might conclude 
that the quality of research in fundamental areas of science will increase as a consequence of funding losses. After all, when paid, my time is directed away from areas of research interest uh, to areas of import to the employer. And there seems to be a general here here from uh, from the chat with regards to William's comments. I, I think there's an element of truth to that. I think there could be a comfortable line where... Um, Bruce was talking to me about a, a fellow who lives near um, their house in um, New Jersey uh, who's associated with a, a major pharmaceutical corporation and Bruce had been talking to him about the Evo grid associated with cancer research and these kind of things. And I think certainly within, within industries that you may associate with artificial life but wouldn't actively associate with artificial life research, there's certainly a receptiveness, and I mean, this is, the, this is the games industry fundamentally as well. There's certainly a receptiveness to what we do in the sense that, uh, you know, perhaps if we tweaked it in particular directions or perhaps if we, uh, you know, if we devoted our mornings to the corporation and our evenings to our, uh, our afternoons and evenings to our own research, that there may be something that comes out of that of mutual benefit. You've been, uh, have you been with the architects for a year now, Gerald? Am I right in that? Um, let me see. Yeah, I'd say it's been uh, a little more than a year now. Yeah. And in terms of, I know I noticed in the last uh, Darwin at Home podcast, you mentioned that there were certain things that you were doing that sparked their interest more now than when you first started there. Do you do you get the sense that there is potential overlap between what you do and what the architects do? Yeah, it, it'll be. It, it remains to be seen, of course. But the thing that uh, I'm working on now that seems to be catching their interest a bit is, is the um, uh, generating of, uh, of bodies uh, for, for the Darwin at Home game that I'm working on, and, and because I'm, I'm generating on the basis of tetrahelix segments, so uh, it's a, a very different sort of look, and uh, they're turning out to be wonderful potential log, uh, walkers. Uh, I think I really hit on something useful for, the, for, for making the game uh, sort of that much easier to uh, to, to uh, get accustomed to, um, but the thing is, I'm generating uh, in, in my um, experimentation. I'm generating, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these different uh, bodies on based on tetrahelixes. And every once in a while, I, I've got it set up so that I can do some aesthetic selection. So basically, I have a, a population on the screen, and I can kill every one of them that I don't think is. Uh, is pretty enough, and uh, it gets replaced with a mutation of one of the other existing ones. So it's just a very simple thing. I think uh, even Dawkins had something like this in, a, in an early book of his. It's called Biomorphs, where it was Isn't just it? a 2D, rep yeah, 2D representation, and, and you basically, uh, you know, bred uh, bred creatures by uh, by clicking on, you know, making choices, and uh, you know the behind the scenes uh, in this. Uh, aesthetic simulation or aesthetic selection thing that I have right now is, is of course, the blind watchmaker randomly deciding how to build these bodies uh, step by step by adding uh, symmetrically left and right, uh, adding tetrahelix segments. And it turns out to, to produce structures that are really kind of cool looking. And uh, so, you know, every time something turns up that, that looks pretty cool, I uh, call one of the architects over to take a look and uh, and they're they're really scratching their chins now. They're looking at it and saying, "Hey, uh, this this is, this first of all, this could be built." And uh, 
And second of all, it's, uh, it looks interesting. It looks, you know, it's got an interesting shape to it. So who knows, maybe I'll be able to have some sort of collaboration uh, involving, um, you know, generating, generating structures that eventually get built. Yes, I mean, the legacy, and I, I personally think of it associated with the uh, artificial life of plants or the, the plant um, artificial life simulations. In, I guess, the late 90s, I uh, got a grant with uh, the CSIRO, the Commonwealth Science and Industry Research Organization in Australia, um, to produce a game called The Mushroom Boy. And part of that was actually creating suburbs using artificial life simulation principles. And the suburban houses were actually artificial life trees with the intersections making the rooms uh, and these kind of things. So I think the, the legacy of architecture and abstract kind of artificial life forms certainly um, it resounds to me as well. And I think the Yeah, potential- I think, I think the, uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the things in that, in that area, the most, the most useful stuff you can do on artificial life terms and, and perhaps even straight up uh, cellular automaton terms is uh, are, you know, tackling issues of urban planning. Exactly. Where, where things have uh, influence on neighbors, you know, and uh, that's, that's very true in urban planning. I think cellular automaton can, can go quite a ways to, uh, you know, make uh, macro simulations of what happens in a city. Yes, well, I mean, certainly writing my uh, fascination with quantum mechanics, I had to commerce functions and transportation functions and all these kind of things and grew the suburbs based on on that kind of stuff. But as we come to the kind of tail end of tonight's show, celebrating um, Bios Alive 100 in a year and a half's time, what do you see, where do you see we'll be then, Gerald? Oh, well, you mean I'm going to have to look into the future here? Yes. Um, well, where will we be? Well, we'll we'll all be uh, able to uh, play with the Darwin at Home game, of course. Uh, Very good. And we'll and uh, we'll be uh, uh, eating each other. That's that's one thing. Um, no, other than that, I don't know. Uh, I I would I would hope that. I mean, it, it was it was. I have to come back to the last great time I had here in the Netherlands because it was just fascinating to do it uh, in a, in a workshop form. And to uh, to see people uh, getting a taste of essentially something that they they have never seen before, and for me that was the case as well. There were a number of things that I had never really understood about how people had been playing with cellular automaton and what they had actually done with it. And uh, of course, William tipped me on this, and uh, and it turned out to be such a, a an interesting uh, evening amongst a bunch of people who really don't uh, have that much of a connection with artificial life, you know. So it was, uh, it was something that was able to uh, pique the interest and, and get some people uh, sort of involved who wouldn't have been otherwise. So I can, uh, I, I, I hope that uh, that there's more stuff for people to play with, and that uh, you know that that there's the, the the software basically plays the role of uh, of uh, you know artifacts that bring people into the, uh, the, the this kind of thinking. And with the view that we'll have Tom Ray on within the next couple of months, aside from Tom, um, the three potential guests on Biota Live that you'd like to see. I'd have to think about that a bit more. I've, I've, I would really love to hear Tom uh, talk. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, Carl Sims, why not? Certainly. 
uh, Stephen Waltham. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bit of a risk. Yes. Although, mm, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've heard Stephen Waltham talk recently, and I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe the Pious Alive crowd would, crowd would give him respect, but I don't know. I don't think he, I don't think he would be, uh, you know, it, it, he's probably somebody who really has a, a, a solid focus on, on things, uh, on, on other things, so he wouldn't really necessarily be terribly interested in the artificial life angle, although I'm sure he could uh, tell us a lot about cellular, cellular automata. What would also be cool is to um, somehow find a way to to locate people, more people in academia who are doing things that they might even not even call artificial life, but they they would be, uh, you know, very much interpretable in that way. Just to just to find out who's doing something, you know, sufficiently related that it'd be interesting to interview them. People who are not necessarily known, Certainly. and people who whose names I couldn't come up with, but, you know, just uh, University X, uh, PhD student Y, uh, what, you know, what are they working on? Uh, so that, just to find out if there are more projects that we can be inspired by. The plant simulation, for example, uh, you know, where, where, did that, where did that come from? Where can we find more of that? Very much so. And, I mean, we, we got uh, Ken Stanley on early on, and he's certainly gone on to do amazing and interesting things. And, if folks in the community know of people who would be ideally suited for this kind of discussion, and like like few of the participants, they don't even have to be primarily associated with artificial life. If they have something that can, you know, fit in with the broader narrative, so much the better. And I think what I'm trying to do um, with Bruce in terms of the folks that he meets with the Evo Grid is uh, is encourage folks to participate. There's a fellow I think called Rob Tao who Bruce has been talking to for quite a bit, and he might be an interesting fellow in the biota community, and there are various other people uh, that Bruce is meeting through his... Uh, I, well, I mean, there's the, the potential for Stuart Kaufman, actually, to come and buy it live as well. Um, so in terms of the kind of historical legacy folk, there may be potential for all these people participating in the next 50 shows. In terms of um, future collaborations and projects, I mean, obviously the Evo Grid has dominated. I talked a little bit this evening about uh, the Jeffrey Ventrola, Roy Plotnick, kind of Tom Barbele cheerleader project that I'm working on currently. I mean, do you see potential in that kind of stuff into the future too, Gerald? Uh, of course, there's potential. I'm not really focusing on it at the moment um, because I want to, you know, I'm working on my own thing for, mm-hmm. for the time being fairly, fairly intensely. I might uh, be able to uh, set up a collaboration with uh, very different kinds of people, like, for example, uh, getting an artist involved, uh, somebody who can really give it a give, give the the stuff I'm working on, a, you know, a visual uh, theme and you know a, a very you know coherent uh, visual appearance. That would be really cool to have a collaboration like that because that's not no I, I think that's critical and certainly that was my thinking looking at Roy Plotnick's very simple kind of Fortran graph output and thinking about uh, the potential of him working with someone like Jeffrey Ventrella is as you say it's a matter of bringing together people with different skill sets but a kind of shared vision uh, and I think you know there's, there's quite a, a number of potential projects that could come out in the next 50 Biota Live episodes, and certainly for the community, I mean, please utilize Biota Live as a vehicle to do this kind of stuff. If you have an interest and you're looking for similar like-minded folk, uh, please come on Biota Live, and certainly I'll uh, promote it through the Graysum blog, and the Graysum meetings still seem to be uh, 
still seem to be occurring with some frequency both in the Bay Area and in Boston and occasionally in the Netherlands as well. Um, I get still quite a bit of correspondence from folks in uh, various parts of the world. The, the Southern California area seems to be uh, a good point of contact too. There seems to be a lot going on. Uh, Dimitri Terezopoulos, who was... Uh, did Dimitri... Dimitri was at Biota 3, wasn't he, Gerald? Um, he was at Biota 3. He was also at Biota 2. Yes. Well, Dimitri spoke at uh, Gecko in Montreal this week. And I got quite a bit of correspondence associated with Dimitri's talk because he made good reference to the artificial life community. He may even have referenced Biota. I'll need to go back through my emails and check. But Dimitri certainly had a, a pile of uh, Biota CDs sent to him sometime last year. Uh, and he's someone who, um, under him, I mean, he's a, he's a vice chancellor at UCLA. Uh, he has half a dozen projects which if they aren't explicitly artificial life related certainly have a good peppering of artificial life through them and um, there are a few listeners actually the um, project that deals with PTSD of Iraq and Afghan veterans that uses um, various smells and these kind of things uh, there are a couple of um, the PhDs involved with that that listen to Biota Live and I'll, I'll give shout outs to them Michael Brewer is the only name that comes to mind um, but I think he, he's just at UCLA doing other stuff, so I've, I've successfully forgotten the names of the folks involved with the particular research I've mentioned. Um, but, yeah, the power of having someone like Dimitri, someone who's been part of the artificial life community for 15, 20 years now, in a position of real power in a university, shows itself through the kind of uh, projects that are coming out at UCLA currently. I think there's hope for us all, Gerald. Yeah, I have, I have real distinct memories of uh, of Dimitri presenting his uh, you know realistic fish. Those were really fascinating. You know, the whole uh, school of swimming fish, and they were all uh, in, uh, autonomous. And uh, and I think he got some gigs in Hollywood with that sort of stuff. Well, I think he stayed in LA pretty well ever ever since. And certainly the stuff that's coming out at UCLA, and also his ability to to talk at conferences like Gecko, certainly motivated. A few emails arriving in my entry, which was always nice to uh, nice to see. So, Gerald, once again, I'd like to thank you for participating in this uh, slightly special anniversary uh, Biota Live episode. And in terms of the the previous Biota Lives, you've touched on uh, a number that you've both listened to and participated in. But in terms of the kind of broader themes associated with Biota Live going into the future, we've talked about new projects, we've talked about guests. In terms of just the general discussions, I mean, obviously this is something that you've enjoyed up until now too. Yeah, um, I don't know. Are you considering sort of changing formats or anything like that? I mean, the only concern that I have with regards to the current format is just that if it's not addressing the issues associated with, um, you know, the kind of mass exodus of, of workers from the uh, from the folks who are listening to Biota Live, then maybe we may we may need to start injecting those kind of discussions into the into the uh, the format of the show. But I mean, I think I'm relatively happy with the format of Biota Live. I would like to get new participants. I would like to get a diversity of topics. We did record on the swine flu very briefly, but that was unfortunately the recording that was lost. So occasionally there are topical elements that we can discuss. But like you say, I mean, I think what's critical is having the right mix of 
new participants, new projects, historical folk. Um, you know, I think we've pretty well done to death the intelligent design and other related uh, questions. Although the Cathedral and the Spider was one of my favourites with, I think, you, me, Bruce and Dick and Natalie Gordon on that one. So, I mean, I think there have been some in there that have touched on recurring topics that have also been quite enjoyable. Um, so, no, I mean, do you think it needs a format change? Uh, no, but I really have enjoyed the interviews that, that have been done. So, uh, you know, the, the, to getting fresh blood in in the form of, uh, hey, can I talk to you for a while on online and uh, and send it out on a podcast is, uh, I think, a really good uh, thing to mix in with the uh, the chats because uh, it doesn't seem to be, you know, a great number of people having a lot to uh, to report in the, in the, the discussion sort of forum. You know, we, have, we occasionally get into a really interesting discussion, but uh, it'd be nice to, to sort of alternate that with more interview format. Certainly, and I think the interview format also motivates future discussion as well. But, I mean, to talk to the community, this is really an open forum, and if there are topics that people want to have discussed, I think looking through the 50 or so, eight um, stuck out to me as topics that had been submitted by others, um, in particular... Uh, the secret source one stuck out to me as a, a topic um, that Adam Eremenko submitted, I think, early in the early in the um, in the series of both lives. Uh, but I mean, if other if other folk in the community or, or Adam once again wants to submit topics, and particularly if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to submit a topic and have, uh, I don't know, Gerald and uh, William R. Buckley and various other participants, Travis Sava, Robert Rice, these kind of folk. On particular topics, with the question, please do email me your, your you know your wish list of speakers because I'll certainly try to make that happen too. Mm-hmm. So, Gerald, um, you've released two um, Darwin at Home podcasts recently. One seemed to be almost kind of coming through a Jurassic forest. I, I do wonder about the environment you live in. <laughs> yeah, it just uh, it, when I listen to them again afterwards, it also sounds funny to me because uh, you know you've got these. Uh, for the, the previous one, I had a couple of birds that were fighting with each other, and uh, and this last one was, uh, you know, he's just got these uh, these, these echoing uh, songs uh, of of or and and you know battles of these these birds in the bush. You know, they're just very uh, aggressive, and there's well, going on in the background as well. I mean, the insect noise is so great. I can imagine these birds coming to feed on the insects. Too. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's pretty warm and uh, and uh, moist here in general at this time of year. So uh, it's it's nice to go for a walk in the bush and record on my little MP3 recorder. Anyway, so uh, it's a nice way to uh, to get out. Certainly, and we have a topic from the chat. I think fits in very neatly with our next show. So I might close up this evening's discussion by uh, again thanking you, Gerald. And read William R. Buckley's uh, topic in the chat, which I think could easily map on to next uh, Biota Live. So his topic is um, funding as related to research effort might be a good topic for a Biota Live panel discussion. So this idea of um, getting real scientists interested in artificial life and getting them interested in terms of getting them funded. And the topic that I had put down for the next show was applied uses of artificial life in science and industry, which I think would map very well onto William R. Buckley's topic. So I would like to invite William R. Buckley onto the next Biota Live so we can discuss his his ideas in full in the, the framing of the topic 
July 31st. The topic is Applied Uses of Artificial Life in Science and Industry. I look forward to having William R. Buckley on. I hope also to have Steve Grand on uh, one of the future Biota Lives. He certainly has been very interested in the format to date, and he's been listening. He listened to the last EvoGrid discussion we had, Gerald, actually, with Bruce, and uh, sent me about four pages worth of email based on that discussion. Not a lot of it oh, aired, aired publicly, though. It was. Uh, <laughs> I think he's he's even more of a naysayer than you are with regards to some components of it. So it will be uh, interesting to have him on. Yeah. Well, thanks once again, Gerald, and thanks for the folks for listening in. This has been 50 episodes of Biota Live, and I'm looking forward to 50 more. Thank you all. Bye-bye.